Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. Why did God invent the church? How should I pray? What are the sacraments? These are the topics for today. Before we get into them, let's pray. Father, we do want to pray now that anyone who's not involved in the church would somehow find a good church home and start going every week. Those of us, Lord, that are not praying, that you would teach us now in this hour how to pray and how to receive the blessings of the sacraments. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, first let's talk about why did God invent the church? What's the purpose of the church? And let, let's just take a little church history lesson here. Let me put a picture up here. <clears throat> this picture is the gospel message. To the left is Jesus kneeling. God comes down from heaven and serves us for 33 years, goes to the cross to pay for our sins, is buried, and then rises from the dead, and then sends us the dove, the Holy Spirit there, who to the left, the water, will baptize us in the Holy Spirit, and then to the right, give us Holy Communion to keep our faith strong. That's the gospel message. And it started out down there at number one, if you can see there, that's Jerusalem. Then number two, it spread to Samaria. Three, Caesarea. Then to ancient Greece. And then all the way to uh, Italy. And then eventually to Spain. That is the, the spreading of the church. But again, the question we're going to ask is, why did God invent the church? And the last thing Jesus said on earth before he floated back into heaven will give us the answer. Why did God give us the church? Look at the, look at the verses. Jesus said to the disciples before he ascends into heaven, Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the close of the age. So, what we're going to learn just from that verse is why God gave us the church. The first reason the church exists is the word go. Let me ask you, is your church a church that actually goes out and tries to save the lost? One man said, many churches, instead of being fishers of men, are keepers of the aquarium. In other words, instead of going out there and trying to save the lost, all they care about is keeping the fish in their aquarium happy. No, no. The reason, the first reason Jesus gave us the church, the church is to go. The second reason Jesus gave us the church, he said, make disciples. Not just converts, but make disciples. The word disciple means learner. So we're not just to get people's souls saved and have them pray the prayer or get them baptized. We're then also to actually make them learners and disciples. So that's the next thing that the church is to do. We are to baptize, and every true Christian church will baptize. Some baptize one way, some baptize another, but every church will baptize. And then we are to teach you need to go to a church where they actually teach you the Bible. And it's sad to say that so many churches teach everything else, but they forget to teach the Bible. Let's look at another reason. 
Hebrews 10 tells us why to go to church. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as the, you see the day drawing near. That verse shows us two reasons you need to go to church. Number one is so you can experience the love of God and practice the good works that God is calling you to do. And number two, to encourage one another. There are no Lone Ranger Christians. If you think you can be a Christian by yourself in this dark world of sin, think again. You need a good church where you can get encouraged in your faith every week, and without a church, your faith will die. You know, some people say, well, it never says in the Bible you have to go to church to be a Christian. Yes, it does. We just quoted it. Hebrews chapter 10. Do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. And if you're watching this program and you don't have a church, you need to find a church and put all your excuses to bed. Well, Pastor, I went to a certain church and I got my feelings hurt 10 years ago, so I haven't been in church for 10 years. Well, then you need to forgive and find a church. There are a gazillion other churches in town. I, I get tired of people that have all these excuses not to go to church. None of them are going to work on Judgment Day. We all need the church. All right, let, let's next move on and ask the question, what can you expect of your church? Let me tell you what you should be able to expect of your church. Number one, that you will hear the Word of God preached. Let's talk about this for a minute. Uh, very sadly, I must say, there are many Christian churches that don't preach the Word of God anymore. And if you're going to a church and you rarely hear the gospel, uh, I encourage you to find a new church. And, and here's how you church shop. Uh, the, uh, the questions I would encourage you to ask if you go to a new church, number one, pastor, do you believe the Bible is the infallible word of God? Number two, do you believe, pastor, that Jesus was born of a virgin? Number three, do you believe that Christ is the only way to heaven. Pastor, do you believe there's a heaven and a hell? A lot of pastors don't believe in hell anymore. And pastor, what do you believe about premarital sex, abortion, and homosexuality? Just ask those questions. And if you get tap dancing, go to a different church. You want a church that preaches the word of God. A second thing that you, you should be able to expect from your church is you will receive the sacraments. That is, holy baptism and the Lord's Supper. Also, you can expect Christian fellowship. Uh, most churches hopefully now have small group programs where, you know, you, you grow in your, your faith to a degree when you're, in the, when you're in the worship service, but you deeply grow in your faith when you're, when you're in a small group of other Christians studying scripture together. So that's called Christian fellowship. You will experience the worship of God and you will receive counsel and comfort in time of need. Hopefully the pastor will come visit you in the hospital if you have uh, a need for counsel. Uh, he or another elder or someone at the church is there. So that's something you can expect from a Bible-believing church. Now, here's what a Bible-believing church will expect from you. Here's what we expect from people who join my church, Hope Lutheran Church, for instance. Number one, we expect you to have a desire to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ. Secondly, we, des we trust that you have a lifestyle consistent with your faith in Christ. Let's talk about this for a minute. You don't have to be perfect to come to our church, but you need to desire to be consistent. Now and then somebody will j come to our new members class and he's living with his girlfriend. 
and they're both unmarried and they both have the same address. So I have to take them aside and say, you know, 1 Corinthians 6, fornicators don't go to heaven. This is a sin. Are you willing to repent and live separate until you're married? Then you can become members. But if you're going to live in sin, you can't be a member here. I just had to tell a guy who has a rip-roaring drug problem. It's wrecking his life and his family, and he refuses to get help. I just had to tell him, you can't take communion here anymore until you repent. It's called excommunication. I hate doing it, but you've got to do it to wake people up. That we need to have a lifestyle, not that we're perfect, we all sin every day and thought we're indeed, but are you at least aiming in the right direction? And if you're not, uh, you need to wait then before you join the church. Another thing uh, that your church will expect from you is a willingness to serve God in the area he has gifted you. Nineteen gifts of the Holy Spirit are listed in the New Testament. Every Christian has at least one of the gifts, prophecy, speaking in tongues, teaching, administration, giving, knowledge, wisdom, mercy. There's 19 different gifts. Your job is to find out what your gift is and to use that to serve the Lord. You want to serve Him in the area you're gifted, not where you're not gifted. Also, uh, you, the church will expect you to, to worship regularly and take Holy Communion regularly. And you should be supporting the work of the kingdom. I hope everybody watching this program tithes. That is, that you give 10% of your money to the work of the Lord so that people can be saved all over the world. And <clears throat> your church will expect that you pray. And we're going to just uh, camp on this for a few minutes now and just talk about the huge importance of prayer. Of everything I just said, I most want the people of my church not to be tithing and not to be this and that. Mostly I want them to pray. So let's just take a minute and talk about the huge importance of prayer. Do you pray? Well, Sir Isaac Newton is known as one of the greatest minds in all of the history of science. Here's what Sir Isaac Newton said. I can take my telescope and look millions and millions of miles into space but I can lay my telescope aside, go into my room and shut the door, get down on my knees in earnest prayer, and I see more of heaven and get closer to God than I can when assisted by all the telescopes and material agencies on earth. A, a psychiatrist uh, said this at the British Medical Association, my whole life has been concerned with the sufferings of the mind. I would state that of all the therapeutic measures employed to counteract disturbed sleep, depression of the spirit, and the miserable ailments of a disturbed mind, I would undoubtedly give first place to the simple habit of prayer. Martin Luther, back in the 1500s, I am so busy now that I find if I did not spend two or three hours each day in prayer, I should not get through the day. If I should neglect prayer but a single day, I should lose a great deal of the fire of faith. W.W. W. Ayer said, the quickest way to get a church on its feet is to get it on its knees. And Teddy Roosevelt, <clears throat> praying mothers are America's greatest asset. So let me take just a second now and talk about the importance of a quiet time. When I came to my church 24 years ago now, the old white-haired pastor who was dying that I kind of replaced, his name was Maynard Force, and he said to me, Tom, you need one hour alone with the Lord every day. And in that hour, you can pray, you can read your Bible, sometimes I sing hymns, sometimes I journal, I write letters to God about how I'm feeling, etc. But he said, if you don't have one hour alone with the Lord, you'll burn out. And I will, I'll be quick to confess there are many days I don't put in a full hour with the Lord, but almost every day, well, every day I read the Bible, but almost every day, 
I mean, every day I have some time where I pray. And, and do you have that? If you don't have that, your, your spiritual life will just run dry. I encourage you to get what's called a quiet time. I do it in the morning, but if you're a night person, do it at night. But try to take half an hour, hour during the day to pray, to read the Bible. That will fuel your life. Well, okay, if I'm supposed to pray, but what should I pray for? Let's turn to that next. What does Jesus say we should pray for? This all comes out of John chapter 17. Jesus said that we should pray that we be kept in the Father's name. Lord, keep me a Christian. Jesus prayed the, said that we should pray that we all be one. Pray for unity at your church. So many churches fight. Uh, pray that we would be kept from the evil one. Before the day begins, pray that God will protect you from the devil. Uh, pray that we would be sanctified. That means made holy in God's word. Make sure you're, you're reading your Bible every day. Uh, pray that you'll be a witness to the world. Every day before I go out the door, I pray, Lord, use me to share you with at least one person today. I don't pray it every day, but I pray it almost every day. And then you're, you're, you see if you share the gospel with someone. Um, uh, let's turn to the Apostle Paul. What does the Apostle Paul say we should pray for? He says, pray for the lost in my home, I have uh, three pieces of paper with names typed on them. I've been praying for these people for about 25 years. Many of them have become Christians, but I pray for the lost. I have family members that don't know Christ. I pray for them, and I'm going to pray for them till I die. The Apostle Paul also said to pray for your request that you may not be anxious. I don't see how people live without prayer. I tend to be a worry wart. I have to pray uh, and lay my anxieties at the Lord's feet. Pray for the preacher's proclamation, says the Apostle Paul. Get to church early on Sunday and pray for that sermon before the preacher gets up there. Um, pray for those in authority, says the Apostle Paul. Do you pray for the president, the Senate, the Congress, the Supreme Court? Oh, pray for the Supreme Court. Uh, do, you, do you pray for the policemen? Do you pray for the, uh, the city and state and Minneapolis uh, legislators? Pray for the government. And don't just ask for things. Also, thank God for what he has done. A habit I got into about 10 years ago, and I still do it every night. Before you go to bed tonight, think back through the day and thank God for four things he did for you. Again, I'm going to say it again. Before you go to bed tonight, just stop and say, God, I thank you that this happened today. Thanks for this today. Thanks for and, and, and don't just ask for things. Remember to thank God for things. The Bible says, Paul says, we should pray for an increase of knowledge. We should pray for an increase of love. And he says, remember my chains in Colossians 4. Pray for persecuted Christians. There are people in Muslim countries that are being killed for their faith in Christ. So pray for the Christians in Saudi Arabia, uh, Indonesia, the Sudan, etc., etc. Pray for persecuted Christians. Have you ever spent one hour straight in prayer? If not, I want to encourage you, you can write our church, Hope Lutheran Church, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430, and ask for the prayer clock. It's just a piece of paper, and you spend five minutes at each station. First, you spend five minutes praising God. Then you spend five minutes waiting on the Lord and, and just being quiet. Then you spend five minutes confessing your sins. Then you spend five minutes praying scripture. That is, you open the Bible and you read a verse and then you pray that verse in your life. Then you read another verse and you pray that verse in your life. And this is a way to make your prayer time just fly. When my prayer time gets good and boring, I take out the prayer clock and I say, Lord, you know the stuff I normally pray for? Ditto. And then I just do this. And you can, we'll, we'll be glad to send you a prayer clock.
That is so far then why God invented the church to go ye therefore preach the gospel, baptize. That also is what prayer is all about. And if you don't have a prayer time, just tonight before you go to bed, talk to God the Father, Heavenly Father, and just tell him what you're feeling. Talk to him like he's your Heavenly Father, like a very loving Father, and, and make sure you develop a prayer life. Without it, you'll run dry. Last thing we want to talk about on this program are the sacraments. There are two sacraments. Uh, if you're a Catholic, there's seven, but if you're a, a Protestant, there's two, and Catholics have these two as well. The main two sacraments are baptism and the Lord's Supper. So what I want to do in the last part of my talk today is just talk to you about the blessings of the sacraments. The word sacrament means means or vehicle of grace. When I teach confirmation, I put God up in heaven with a little car coming down into our hearts. The way God's love in his heart gets into our hearts down on earth, there's two little cars. One is through water baptism and the other is holy communion. That's how God's love gets into us. So let's first talk about baptism. And let's ask the question, what are the blessings of baptism? Well, let me explain this. Number one, sins are washed off. Peter says, be baptized washing away your sins. The reason I baptize babies is because we're born sinners. Even babies sin. Parents, did you notice? You had to teach your children how to be good. You didn't have to teach them how to be bad. Because we were all born with this thing called original sin that we inherited from Adam and Eve. All are born sinners. Therefore, the first thing that happens when we get baptized, Acts 22, 16, sins are washed off. Second thing that happens in baptism, Christ is put on. Paul says in Galatians 3, for as many of you as have been baptized in Christ, have been clothed in Christ. All right, so let's say this finger is you and me, and let's say this hand is God on Judgment Day. You come and you stand before God on Judgment Day. If he sees sin on you, you don't go to heaven because God cannot endure sin. So what God does is, first of all, he washes your sins off in baptism, and then, now this hand is Christ, he clothes you in Christ. So when God looks at you now, he doesn't see all your sin. He sees 33 years of perfect obedience that Jesus lived in your place for you. And so then you go to heaven. So number one, in baptism, your sins are washed off. Number two, Jesus' 33 years of perfect obedience is put on. Next thing that happens in baptism, the Holy Spirit comes in. Peter said, be baptized and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, Acts 2.38. So sins are washed off. Jesus is put on, and then the Holy Spirit, God, the third person of the Trinity, actually comes in and dwells in the believer's life. Then, Paul says in baptism, excuse me, Peter says in baptism we are saved. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 21. But we need to explain this. There are two places in the Bible that talk about baptism saving us. 1 Peter 3.21, baptism corresponding to knowing the flood saves you. Not the washing of dirt from the body, but an appeal to God for a clear conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So there's a sense in which baptism saves you. We're saved when Jesus died on the cross. Well, how does that ancient event, the cross, get applied to me today? Through baptism. So, I mean, if somebody asks me, how are you saved? I normally don't say through baptism. I normally say because Jesus died on the cross, that's how we're saved. But really, that's what baptism is. Baptism is being baptized into the death of Christ. We'll see that next. Here, uh, it says in Colossians 2, and Rome, read Romans chapter 6, we are buried with Christ in baptism, and we're raised from the dead, new creatures. So, uh, those are the blessings of baptism. I've got to say this, though. Hitler was baptized. Stalin was baptized. Hitler killed six million Jews. 
Uh, Stalin killed 10 million Russians. We don't think they made it. And, and now and then somebody will go to a funeral and say, well, uh, pastor, uh, the priest or the pastor, pastor put Uncle Joe in heaven. Uncle Joe never went to church. He was an atheist. But the pastor said, because he was baptized, he's saved. Is that right, pastor? And I say, no, it's not right. Because Jesus said, he who endures to the end will be saved. I believe God washes off, off our sins, gives us the Holy Spirit, and saves us in baptism. But you must continue in the faith. He who endures to the end, said Jesus, will be saved. And we don't think... Adolf Hitler or Mussolini or Stalin made it just because they were baptized. Nevertheless, that aside, there are huge blessings in baptism. Don't miss them. And if you haven't been baptized, get into a church and tell the pastor you need baptism. Last thing we're going to talk about now are the blessings of Holy Communion. What happens when you take communion, when you eat that bread and drink that wine? first blessing that happens is you experience what's called the real presence. Jesus said, this is my body. This is my blood. And so when I take communion, it's bread and wine, but in, with, and under the bread and wine, you are getting the very presence of Jesus Christ himself. I mean, I think the closest you can get to God on earth is when you take Holy Communion. That's why people who never go to church and think they, they're going to church by watching TV, think again. You can't get Holy Communion out of a TV set, and you need Holy Communion. You need the real presence of Christ in your life. A second blessing of Holy Communion, we partake of the new covenant, which is the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, take and drink. This, is the, this cup is the New Testament, uh, which is the forgiveness of sins. I'll tell you the main reason I like to take communion I have a very guilty conscience. I've always had a guilty conscience. I mean, some people are too guilt-ridden. That's me. So I love taking communion because I hear those words, shed for the forgiveness of all your sins, and it's God's reassurance to my heart that I'm forgiven. Now, as a believer, I'm forgiven already. I, I'd go to heaven if I died right now because my sins are already paid for at Calvary, but I sure like to hear it again, and through Holy Communion, God forgives our sins, reassures us that the forgiveness of sins is real. So I take communion to get the real presence of Christ. I take communion uh, to uh, partake of the new covenant. A third reason I take communion is to remember Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. There's a story. You remember Zacchaeus, the short man who had to climb up on the sycamore tree to see Jesus pass by, and then Jesus saved him? There's a story that when Zacchaeus was an old man, he'd leave the house every night. And then he'd come back to the house full of peace. And his wife was wondering, what is he doing? So one night his wife followed him through the town of Jericho all the way to the other side of town, and she, she saw him go up and throw his arms around this tree and hug the tree and come home. And she said, Zacchaeus, I followed you tonight. Why did you go hug that tree? And he said, because that is the tree where he found me. And I made a promise that as long as I could walk for the rest of my life, I'd go back to that tree and remember him. When you take Holy Communion, you're going back to the tree, the tree of Calvary, the cross, and you're throwing your arms around the cross and saying, Lord Jesus, I remember what you did here for my salvation. You remember when you take communion? Also, when you take communion, you're preaching a sermon. Jesus, uh, the Apostle Paul said, whoever eats of this bread and drinks of this crop, cup 
proclaims the Lord's death until he comes or preaches the Lord's death until he comes. When you take communion, you're preaching a sermon to people. You're saying, this is the only thing that'll save me while I await the second, second coming is the death of Christ. And then notice the words, proclaims the, the, uh, the death of Christ until he comes. And Jesus said to the disciples, I won't drink this wine with you again till I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. In other words, you're getting a little foretaste of the great feast to come. At the end of time, at the second coming, Christ comes down and we experience what's called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And all the saints who have ever lived will be around that table. And then Jesus will take out the bread and the wine and we will once again partake of the fruit of the vine with our Savior in heaven. That is going to be an incredible feast. We're, we get just a little foretaste of that great feast to come when we take communion down here on earth. What I want to encourage you to do is make sure that you prepare before you take communion. When I was in eighth grade, our confirmation pastor gave us this little pamphlet on how to prepare for Holy Communion. You go through the Ten Commandments and you confess your sins before you take communion. Commandment number one, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Do I fear, love, or trust anyone or anything more than God? Have I neglected my prayers morning, night, and at mealtime? Uh, have I always put God first? Commandment number two, don't take God's name in vain. Have I, has my conversation been mixed with profanity, etc.? Remember the Sabbath day. Have I spoken unkindly of my church teachers? Have I permitted sleep to keep me from church, etc., etc.? Honor your father and mother. I mean, you go through the Ten Commandments with this little pamphlet. By the time you're done, you know you need communion and the forgiveness of sins. When you take communion, just don't rush into church. Saturday night or, or early Sunday morning, take some good time to, to examine your hearts, go through the Ten Commandments, confess your sins in thought, word, and deed, and then go to church trusting that through the death of Christ on the cross and through Holy Communion, God is going to wash you clean, fill you with your spirit, and use you all over again. And if you don't have one of these, you probably don't, again, just write Hope Lutheran Church, 5200 Emerson Avenue North, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55430. We'll be glad to mail you and just ask for the How to Prepare for Holy Communion um, uh, uh, brochure. Uh, we just want to thank you for tuning in today to the pastor's study. We also thank Harry Went for, and Crossways International for those pictures we were able to show earlier. And again, if you don't have a good church home, Find a good church that preaches the Bible. Start going every Sunday, and we'll see you next time on The Pastor's Study. Thank you for watching The Pastor's Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write The Pastor's Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.